On this week's Behind the Idea, it's back to California and the PCG bankruptcy case. We speak with Seeking Alpha author, Wyco Researcher, about the unfolding court proceedings and its roots. They go deep. They, there's legislation to try to rechange it, but they can't because it's a, it's a part of the Constitution. It has to change the Constitution. And this has a negative impact because they don't have to prove negligence to hold the utilities liable. The author specializes in bankruptcy stories, so we asked him what he thought about the complicated position Baupost Group is taking. What do you think about the, what, what is Baupost doing there? Uh, I think they're, I think they're um, uh, losing more money. Does investing in utilities become an impossible game in the modern day? Is there anything to salvage from what promises to be a multi-year bankruptcy process? We discuss on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Daniel Schwartzman. And I'm Mike Taylor. We're following up on our recent podcast on PG&E, ticker symbol PCG, the California utility that is facing serious liabilities related to California wildfires and that has filed for bankruptcy protection. We're joined on this call by Wyco Researcher, a Seeking Alpha author and experienced investor with a deep interest in bankruptcy-related stocks. We referred to his article on our previous podcast, and we're delighted to have him join us today. Before we get started, though, a couple quick notes. Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work, building on ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem. Neither Mike nor I have any positions in any stocks that are going to be mentioned. Wyco Researcher is short PCG. Nothing on this podcast is meant as investment advice of any sort. And I just want to add, this is a fast-moving situation. We're recording this conversation on Wednesday, February 13th. I think it'll still be up to date when you listen to this, but just FYI. So with all that, let's get started. Waiko, welcome on the podcast. Ah, Thanks for having me. So the first thing to cover is just, and we actually got an email from a listener based on our last podcast, is I'm curious how unique... PCG's current situation is uh, in the fact that the way the liabilities work, you mentioned in your article, the clause of inverse condemnation, which according to our reader only applies in California and Alabama. How unique is this? Like how much just what, what's you, you look at a lot of bankruptcy stories, what's different, what's special about PCG? Well, in this case, inverse condemnation applies to California well, only in the course of Alabama, is the fact there was, there's a little bit of confusion. It's not actually a law. It's, it's how the state Supreme Court interpreted the Constitution of Article 1, Section 19. There is no law on inverse condemnation in California. Many people think there's a law and they want to change the law. There actually isn't a law. It's in the Constitution and how it's interpreted. There was a court case um, in ni- uh, 1965 that basically determined the inverse condemnation issue and then other court cases after the fact. And it basically, this is only in California, and for them to reverse it and change the change it, they would actually have to change the Constitution, possibly, and not just change a law, because it's not a law. The currently has been two appeals from two of the utility companies, PG&E 
and also San Diego, uh, San Diego Gas and Electric appealed. In both of their appeals in San Diego Gas and Electric, that appeal was just denied. The petition to hear the Supreme Court was just denied on January 30th. So this is going to be the law of the land for in California for some time. They, there's legislation to try to rechange it, but they can't because it's a, it's a part of the Constitution. They have to change the Constitution. And this has a negative impact because they don't have to prove negligence to hold the utilities liable. And the interesting thing is right. in New York State, where we've had a lot of blackouts and there's a lot of, been a lot of lawsuits, there it's the reverse. It's actually in New York State, there was a court case back in 1985 of Strauss versus Bell Realty, where it says you have to have not only negligence, you have to have gross negligence to hold the utility company liable in New York. So there's been very little bit payout from these blackouts that we've had here, like in 2003 and 77, um, and there's been other ones too. And it's because they have to have gross negligence. And in California, it's just reversed. They don't have to have any negligence. The fact that it occurred and was your equipment, you're liable. So, Wyco, real quick, just I think we're kind of are getting around the definition of inverse condemnation by the examples you're using, but could you just, for listeners who are less familiar, give them a quick definition of inverse condemnation? It's basically it's where the utilities are considered the same as a government. It's basically it's a theory where you ensure the losses are distributed over taxpayers, in this case taxpayers or customers, and not just the injured individual. In other words, everybody shares the burden, and not just the, the person that was hurt. And they're basically saying, all right, if something happens, we're basically condemning that property effectively. We're taking it and we're paying for it. It's like if you bought it, you, like I said in my article, if you broke it, you bought it. And so they have to pay for that, whatever they damaged, as if they bought it and condemned it. Just like there is like eminent domain, is that's the same type of principle that you take if you have that you're taking that property from the individual. And without, in this case, it's not actually taking with a, a legal procedures. It's basically you took it by an act. In this case, because you damaged it, therefore you took it and you have to pay for it. So is this something that only applies to utilities? And how often, like how often yes. does this... Yes, it oh, is. Okay. okay, so only do utilities. And then how often does... Does this get invoked in California? Is this you, you all, all the time? All the time. Okay. Other utilities like uh, Southern California Edison and San Diego Gas and Electric, they've had uh, f- you know fires and uh, other liability issues in the past. They've had the exact same thing applied to them. It's just that this one, the last two years in California with PG&E, have been such enormous fires or multiple fires. The impact has been really noticeable. But this has been going on for years. This is not something that just happened. All the so, three... Large, go ahead. Well, no, no, no. I guess what that occurs to me then is... So it sounds to me like, based on what you're saying, really the only way to change this would be if ultimately it got appealed to the Supreme Court and they decided that the interpretation of inverse condemnation was wrong. And, you know, I don't want to open up too much of a broader discussion in terms of climate change or whatever else, but it seems like this may not have been such a major risk 
for utilities in California in the past, but now it's becoming, given the increased magnitude and frequency of these wildfires, it's really needs to be factored into just the cost of doing business in California. Is that, did I understand those two aspects? Yes. Um, and actually, I also think, and I don't have the numbers, but I'm trying to get research on this. I also think the alternative energy source issues has made this matter worse is because of the fact you have additional power lines being constructed. So not only have additional power lines, but then you have to maintain those additional power lines and you're spreading out your cost of maintenance across a larger number, a larger number of uh, wires, uh, the transmission lines. So is the fact that this is increasing the problem going to increase in the future is that California moves more and more towards alternative sources of power. You know, you have a wind farm here, you have a solar system over here, and they all have to hook together on the grid. So you have a lot more wires being built in California because of that. So I guess a lot of our questions for you are sort of around the the fact that it's a publicly regulated utility and the fact that because of that, you know, all publicly regulated utilities, I think I can say, have a political aspect to some degree. That's the whole point of the regulation. And it just seems like there are so many aspects here because you're talking about the the drive in California for alternative energy, but that that taxes on you know a public utility which is going to the market for for capital and everything else. And I guess it just it sort of makes it sound like what whatever we'll get back to the specifics of this case, but it makes it sound like it's a really tenuous situation for utilities as a whole in California because of the things we're talking about. Is that is this something that you can read deeper into the whole ecosystem for utilities in California? Yes. In fact, that's why um, uh, Southern California Edison tracked uh, PG&E on the way down. Not the same percentage-wise, but they basically have the same decline and up and everything else. Is they're tracking them, the percentage of decline is not as great because they don't have the huge liability issue. But the whole concept is they are tracking them. Up, they went plunged and then they rose again recently. Type, that type of thing. They're 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 tracking each other. Um, San Diego Gas and Electric that's owned by a, another holding company that's diversified. So that's their holding company is not as impacted as because they have a you know a larger uh, distribution. They have uh, powers companies throughout the country. Right. And just, I think that's, so that's EIX is the Edison. And I think the other one, is that the one that's owned by Semper? No, no. Yes. Southern California Edison, that's, uh, that's uh, S-C-E, I think. X. Okay. Okay. No, S-C-E. S-C-E. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I see they've got quite a few preferred shares. Okay. Great. So let's get into that bounce for a second. What we, we, we recorded our podcast knowing the bankruptcy was coming, but it wasn't announced yet. And we may have, it seems like we almost bottom ticked it because since the bankruptcy filing shares, I, I know there has been the ruling about liability on a 2017 fire and a few other things, but what, in your view, why are shares doing so well since filing for bankruptcy, which would seem to be a negative event for the equity? It's 
actually has to do with they were trading, bef- I would say, the week or two, oh, actually about three weeks before they filed for bankruptcy, not uh, so much on the bankruptcy issue, but because of the probation tra- uh, hearing that was taking place. Judge Elsa was really going after them and putting additional conditions on their probation that they were, had violated and ruled that they had violated. And because they were very, which I highlighted in my article, he put a very, he was planning to put very, very strict re- regulations on them where they have to de-energize. And he really didn't care if they de-energize for a period of time and the impact in the local area. He says, do you need safety first? And there was estimates that cost, um, you know, 50 to $75 billion to implement his plan. That is why the shares it got killed during that time period. Plus, he was making comments from the bench that got picked up on Twitter and everything else. He was saying that they had uh, not insulated their wires properly and they had the poles at the wrong distance and everything else. And the market was reacting to these things. Every time he comes out with something from the bench, these things, the stock just got killed. So it was actually getting hurt, not so much because of the bankruptcy, it's because of this probation trial. So, in other words, the bankruptcy is not the main, even though they're going through bankruptcy pr- proceedings to some degree, that's not the main driver of the stock right now, uh, they're, it, because they're the other... It, it, it is too, now it is, but at that time in January, when it went very extremely low, it was actually the probation that was was driving the stock, because that would have a dramatic impact on operations and cost factor. It might hit the, the revenue side, because they have to stop operations, and then, of course, the cost factor. And this guy is, the judge is sort of very well known, is he really doesn't care. He makes rulings based upon what his opinion is. And he is indicative of the Ninth Circuit. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Ultra liberal. <laughs> so, Wyco, can you, from there, can you kind of play out how you see the scenarios going from here from the perspective of the common stockholders? So you're short, but maybe you can give us kind of a breakdown of how you see this going forward. Well, the reason why I'm short still is because of the fact I think people, the number of $30 billion does not include potential punitive damages. Those are just actual damages they could be liable for. Uh, there's no punitive damages in there. Also, there could be fines. There could be is because of the fact that the country is, in, especially in California, is moving further and further left. Are we going to have the state possibly taking control of the company and how much they're going to give shareholders and things like that? I think there's a lot of negatives because of where it's located. Uh, let's say if this was in another state. The impact may not be as great, but this is California, where they really don't care about as much about the shareholders. And I think the shareholders could get burned here. I think everybody's going to take a haircut, but they may want to shave shareholders' head and really hurt them the most. Got it. So another thing that came up for us when we first looked at this was this sort of perception that utilities are these safe, steady investments, and they have some really attractive economics. Obviously, we're seeing the sort of complete opposite of that play out in PCG. And it does seem like every once in a while, you get a major downside event in these kinds of companies. 
Can you tell people kind of how you approach this big event risk that faces these types of companies and what you look for on, you know, as an investor? I avoid them. I avoid you. I, I, completely <laughs> avoid, I completely avoid utilities. I don't buy utilities and I don't buy tech stocks. Tech stocks basically uh, they reinvent themselves and they keep uh, making their products obsolete. I don't touch utilities because of the fact they're so highly regulated. I don't buy them at all. I completely ignore them. The reason why in this case is I'll go on the opposite side. I'll short them. When something happens, like in this case with the fire, I don't see how anybody could be long, could stay long when they saw that massive fire being burnt in the uh, inverse condemnation issue in California. The combination of the two and all these funds that were massively long, it, it just didn't make sense. And that's why they, those, the stocks just plunged. I don't buy those stocks. Because of that, I don't buy when you're basically you basically buying government the government, and I don't want to buy the government. There's other op, other opportunities out there besides buying government. So, I want to actually ask about a few of the funds involved here, but just before getting into those on the bankruptcy proceedings, and do you have a view as to whether the equity itself has remaining value? Like, do you is this something where how do you with this when you do your sensitivity analysis for the potential punitive damages or anything else like how do you what's your likely uh, view on what what's likely to happen here well i think one reason also the stock popped yesterday is governor newsom is appointing a committee of financial people and bankruptcy experts to look at the uh, situation with pg&e and it's interesting that he didn't appoint a committee of environmentalists or that type of thing. This is financial people. So clearly, the governor is taking the position, you know, we need to look at this from a financial point of view. And I think that's why the stock is going up yesterday and went up a little bit today. But I mean, before yesterday, I think that's why the stock went up is this is the problem is there's going to be many, many groups that have their own committees. There is, so far, there's been no appointment by the U.S. trustee for an official equity committee, there's an ad hoc group of institutional investors that own shares. They're forming an ad hoc committee. The U.S. trustee the other day appointed the official unsecured creditors committee. And it's interesting to see who makes that up. Is There are no holders of liability claims from the fire. They're just as traditional ones, the uh, trustees for the bonds, you know, vendors and that type of thing. There's nobody from the claims on that committee, and the claims would be unsecured creditors. Is I think that, that on the negative side with the equity is you have so many things taking place here that uh, an item of – what about more fires coming up this fall? And in the bankruptcy code, the, the fires coming up this fall technically will be considered administrative claims. They have to be paid in full for them to exit Chapter Twelve, uh, Chapter Eleven. You're, they will not be considered unsecured claims. You're talking about the 2018 uh, fires. No, 2019. Oh, so any 2019. Fire. Right. Okay. Yeah, they, it dep- depends upon when you define their claim. This is also going to be litigated because the fact is, is did your claim arise from the fact of the, tr- the when the actual fire started? Or was your claim really de facto uh, when they had the trees that were too close to the poles and things like that grow? Is that when the de facto started your claim period? 
it gets very confusing when your claim is actually going to be considered in a court. I actually don't think that those claims will be priority claims, administrative claims. I think what's going to happen is they're going to lump everything together like they did with the asbestos ones, where they pay out you know, 2017, 2018, 19, 20, and anything in the future coming up out of an account that they'll establish. And they will pay out that going forward. And they will not have it where the people that is 2017 and 18 get a certain percentage because they're unsecured, only get a certain percentage of their payment, while the people from 2019 and 2020 or whatever going forward, they get full recovery. Because you can't exit tw- uh, Chapter 11 unless they got full recovery. So they would be considered, they, in theory, in theory, they would be considered administrative claims. I think that they're going to say, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. we're not going to consider them an administrative claim. The, the, we're, we are going to put them all together in one. And that's where the government's going to, the state of, New York, uh, state of California is going to come in and, and sort of be arm-twisting on that because they, politically that would be disastrous for anybody in California. You know, someone else getting paid pennies on the dollar and somebody else getting 100%. That's not going to go over very well. Right, there's sort of an imbalance there. Yeah, that's the risk, though, that the unsecured note holders take and also equity takes because they get paid full. So if you have a massive fire in 2019 and massive fires in 2020, because they're talking about staying in bankruptcy for a while, they can have these huge administrative claims and everybody else is way down the list and getting almost nothing because they have to be paid in theory. This is what I'm talking about in theory. They may try to uh, try to interpret the b- bankruptcy code different and say, "Oh, they're actually not ordinary business." I mean, there's ways to interpret the, this, and it's one of those things that can be debated over and definitely can be litigated over. But they have a fair they have a fair judge, though. Which thank God with that. So does that mean I'm trying to kind of understand this from a sort of timeline perspective? As they're in bankruptcy protection, part of the resolution will involve claims that may emerge during the course of bankruptcy and also claims that may occur in the future is it is it all part of this you are these separate things that need to be resolved separately or, or now that there's bankruptcy is it all bundled together into no, one package no, they're actually separate classes they're actually separate classes the the ones from 2017 18 those will be considered unsecured claims. They're in a very low class. The ones that I would want to hate to say it, but I think there's going to be fires again in 2019 and going forward. Those will be administrative claims. Those are in a high class and they have to be paid in full for you to confirm a chapter 11 bank reorganization plan. That's one of the requirements for confirmation of a plan. That's the, uh, an interesting issue with Sears right now is they're administratively insolvent and probably do not have enough money to pay these administrative claims. Therefore, they cannot have a Chapter 11 plan that can't be confirmed. They would have to exit bankruptcy either through Chapter 7 or have dismissal of the petition altogether. So in any case, I, my guess is these are going to be litigated and they're going to be all lumped together. And they're also going to be going to be like John's Mansell and some of the other ones where future claims that haven't really arisen yet, like so like from 22, 23, 24, even after they exit, they may have a, a huge pool they establish. In fact, that was mentioned, by the way, at the first day hearings on the 31st, from that they were thinking of having an, a trust account established and paying all the claims out of that. Wow. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And then you have to be careful on that because you have to make sure you don't have the double dippers. You know, somebody got paid from the insurance company and then somebody else wants to get paid for their claim. And then some people only got paid partially from their insurance company and they want to get paid for the rest of their claim for uh, because they have part of it that wasn't paid. It gets very complicated how you pay these out, but you also have to be very careful because people would be trying to double dip. One aspect that is interesting to me as sort of related to all this, I'm just curious if you had thoughts on the reporting around Baupost Group, Seth Carman's firm, owning insurance claims from 2017 at 35 cents on the dollar. It sounds to me like, based on what you're saying, this sort of assumption that the earlier claims, the government won't just won't be able to allow them to be paid for cents on the dollar. So that actually seems like that's a decent hedge for you for your equity position would be to say, if you can get those claims and then because of the political impact of needing to not, you can't prioritize the 2019 20, like you said, what do you think about their, that reporting their potential position in that? How do you do you, what do you think about the what what is Baupost doing there? Uh, I think they're, I think they're um, uh, losing more money. It's because they bought those claims before they there was talk of filing for bankruptcy. I think those claims are probably even selling lower than thirty five cents on a dollar. There was talk that one time that they that some of the large equity holders would buy up as many as those they can, then go to PG and E and say, all right. We will sell these to you at, let's say, like 55 cents on the dollar. And therefore, you know, you reduce your claim total. Let's say if it's 30 billion, you reduce your claim total. Let's say if they buy up a huge amount from the insurance companies because they are the biggest holder of the claims right now. If most insurance companies dump them out to these hedge funds and assume the, the, the claim and the liability is that they would save PG&E money. And that would therefore help shareholders. That's, I think, the largest uh, line of thinking. That's one of the possibilities. Or is if the other way is if these get paid in full, they'll make money. Um, if they get paid almost nothing, they'll lose money, but the shares will do better, and that's their hedge. I think the whole thing it was basically instead of heads I win, tails you lose, it's more like heads I lose, tails you win. I, I think it was a very dumb idea. Wow. I think it's just another... I think you're just basically buying another claim that basically just went down in value after they filed for bankruptcy. And you're not hedged anyway. It's not a hedge. It's really not a hedge. You basically are along a claim. And I don't think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't do it. I, mean, I can see the concept of this, this is a hedge, but I also can see it where they could lose even more by hedging, by this quote-unquote hedge. So Where they get, you know, we have the if the. Go ahead, sorry. No, I, I guess like the the sort of this all leads me to, in the end of the day, once we the bankruptcy protection is in so another way to sort of there's only so much money or assets that PCG can draw on to make claims whole, to make bondholders whole, to make equity holders whole, and we also have ratepayers involved here and actual people at the end who have filed these claims. And I'm just, what, what's sort of your, 
You've already said that you avoid utilities and that you have a short position here. So you're skeptical about the equity value. But like, what is the, what's the overall takeaway for how utilities work in terms of these, the liability for this, the sort of outstanding put option essentially that a fire might happen each year that might, might, might cause the more claims, et cetera. Like, how does this, I don't know what I don't need to drive try to put too neat of a point around all of this, but what do you sort of make about, it doesn't seem like anybody comes out ahead here is I guess what I'm getting at. I'm just curious how you, how you view this. Well, the thing, well, the, the utility companies, one reason why they appeal to the uh, Supreme court of California is they're saying the whole theory of inverse condemnation implies we're spreading this risk around with everybody. That's part of the, the whole premise for this theory. Well, that means you spread the risk around by charging higher rates. But they're not letting them charge in the higher rates. And they say, well, if you don't give them higher rates, how can you apply this theory? Because there's a split decision in California regarding the, how you apply, how you, um, apply the, the rates for the fire issues. And that's one reason why they appealed because they have two different, uh, they have different, uh, courts within California who have split the decisions on how those rates are passed on. I mean, rather the fires are passed on to the rate holders. And the biggest problem in California also is the people that have live in certain areas where there's a high risk of fires, they don't pay higher in, uh, electricity rates, but they're getting something that other people are getting, but they're not paying a higher amount. Remember, it's like a car. Go ahead. To interrupt there, the the state of California doesn't allow them to raise rates either on on the whole or to those specific sort of higher risk areas. Is that right? To a certain degree, yeah. That's that is, I understand that's correct. They, um, you know, let's say if you live in an area that has, you know, rural area that has a lot of trees around, they may not pay anything. They pay, will not pay any more than somebody who's a few miles away that's in town that doesn't have that same amount of risk. Also, the fact is, it's one of those political things is who's paying the utilities? Because remember, utility rates are basically applied for individuals at the same amount. You know, if you're a poor person, you pay the same rate to a certain degree as if you're middle class. And they're basically saying if you you raise it, it's unfair to the poor people. You basically have a a de facto tax on them. And this idea of inverse condemnation, if it's supposed to be spread around as a public utility type of thing, it's almost like a tax, then you basically have a regressive tax then. And that's what their theory is, why they're not passing on the rates, is because it becomes a regressive tax right, as opposed to a progressive tax. Right. That, that's, yeah, that's sort of like if you t- talk about New Orleans, for example, and the fact that the by nature, the, the people who are less vulnerable to flooding are the ones who can afford to live in those neighborhoods. And so that's... Yeah, I, I can understand that. And that, so that makes it, yeah, sort of very difficult position to consider it for, for, you know, in general, but also from our, from the investing perspective, it just really seems like a tough spot. Have you, maybe as a last question, have you seen anything before like this? Is this, is this something that has played out this sort of scenario where you have the different 
claims and and then big names are and the company going into bankruptcy sort of against the will of some shareholders and just all the other political aspects is this something you've seen before or is this something that stands out i mean i know we sort of asked that at the beginning but uh, no this is actually believe it or not this is actually a very simple case it's basically a simple case of liability you have a you've been determined that you have a certain amount of liability therefore you uh from an act that you did and then you file bankruptcy this is something that happens all the time you know it could be a you know a restaurant that someone slipped on their sidewalk and all of a sudden oh my god we we're liable for this when it go bankrupt so this idea of having a liability and going bankrupt is all happens all the time it's just the fact of what determines when you're reliable is the inverse condemnation in California whereas other places you have like in New York you have to have the gross negligence is very difficult standard to meet that I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, I, th- I think it does. I think that's, yeah. I, and that's what's also helpful is to just kind of be able to distill it back down to the underlying basics of what's going on. So. Because then you also have the Blue Mountain. You have the Blue Mountains. Blue Mountain with the proxy fight, I think, is very counterproductive, though. And I think with the board of directors, the announcement the other day that the half of them are going to be replaced. With others, I think Blue Mountain is just wasting their time with this proxy fight they're planning to have here. Is it just what, what we don't want to assign motives to somebody else? But do you think it's just again sort of looking for a way out of the position, or or what's your take on why they would why they would wage a proxy fight like that? Well, I think in the very beginning they wanted to keep them out of bankruptcy. I think it was a tactic. It's sort of like when you're going into an operating room, you know, they try to don't have the operation in the first place. It's once you go into an operating room, you know, anytime you make an incision and you cut open, you have certain risks. The same thing in bankruptcy. Once you file bankruptcy, all of a sudden you have a lot of different things that impact, especially shareholders who are on the bottom. You have different bankruptcy code, different committees, you have different things, or even the judge. They could influence negativity negatively the the bottom shareholder, and that's why they didn't want to file in the first place. I think it's a huge mistake on their part. It's just a waste of time. I, I and, and plus they're picking the thirteen directors. So who are they to pick up thirteen directors? They they already decided who they are. They picked the thirteen directors. They signed up. They're going to make the announcement in a few days. But who are they to pick up the direct pick the directors? Right. They picked their slate already. Yeah, I think it's just emblematic of sometimes just not, yeah, not, not, it's tough to, to fold a losing hand. I think sometimes I, you know, again, not trying to suggest anything about Blue Mountain, but that may be what's going on there. But a lot, there's a lot of players here that lost hundreds, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions. They were, they saw they that PG&E, was negatively impacted by 2017. All right, we'll buy this stock was impacted. We'll buy it cheap. We'll buy the bonds a little bit at a discount and whatever. And then all of a sudden, 2018 came around and they were slapped across the face because the fire was even worse. But they didn't get out. I can't understand that. They just sat there. It was a massive position. So uh, any any closing thoughts or any sort of things to watch for for this going forward or anything you think needs to be emphasized for listeners it's going to be a very long process, but you have to watch the little things that happen. And many times they forget to look at that docket. Like today, there is a hearing taking place regarding contracts 
for that from their suppliers of electricity that they buy some of these alternative sources. And in bankruptcy code, they can reject those contracts if they just so desire. The federal regulatory agencies are saying, they're saying, oh, no, 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 we get to govern that. And there's a hearing today on who is going to govern that. They made an agreement between PG&E and the state. It was filed yesterday, I believe it was, that PG&E said they will have the state agree if they're going to reject any contracts. But at this point, it is between the federal government and the bankruptcy court who's going to decide about those contracts. And I think it's a negotiating tool because they want to reject some of those contracts or threaten so they can reduce the, core, the, the prices. And that will be a positive impact, in my opinion, on shareholders and on secured creditors. However, if they reject the contracts outright, that's going to be a disaster on secured creditors and shareholders possibly because they join the group of unsecured creditors. That massive amount of money is the total amount of money of that contract. <coughs> so that would be a huge increase in the number, the amount of unsecured creditors that would be sharing their pool. So they have to watch these things. People that trade these things, they have a tendency not to follow dockets, follow hearings, follow what's going on, because uh, they don't understand what's being filed. That's a great takeaway, I think. So thank you very much, Waiko. I really found this to be a really enriching conversation. Uh, yeah, glad I, I, this is fascinating. I, I, I'm planning to write an article probably for next week on some legal, uh, some other legal issues and things like that, that are regarding the claims and things like that. In people that trade this, they have a tendency just to look at numbers, and they need to wear multiple hats, including a lawyer's hat, a finance hat, and a and political hat. You have need to wear three hats here. That's right, and that's where we sort of, I think, came away last time too. Is is just there's a lot, lot going on, and you have to be really careful to not just get settled on one aspect or another and lose the rest of the picture. So we'll we'll make sure listeners make sure to watch for white co-researchers article and we'll depending on the timing we'll make sure to link to it because i think that would be really uh instructive after after this call okay so thank you so much for your time it was really enjoyable white co and uh yeah really appreciate you sharing your your thoughts here okay thanks uh Good luck with any of this. <laughs> Have a good day, Mike. Um, yeah, Daniel. take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Nice talk. Thank, Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. PCG is a complex situation, so we're looking to unpack it with one more discussion. Stay tuned for a potential special episode this week. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review when you get the chance. If you want to say in what we cover, email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com. We read every message we get, and we try to incorporate them into our work. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Behind the Idea.